0: You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Hey, welcome to week two of Conversations on the Holy Spirit. Last week, Dr. Van got us off to a great start. These first two weeks, we're laying down a foundation for where we're going to head the next three weeks, when we're going to talk next week, Pastor Keith is talking about Holy Spirit as communicator? And what's this thing with tongues and baptism of the Holy Spirit? All these things. So how does this intersect with our lives? And for some of us, the whole idea of talking about the Holy Spirit is new. Some of us are in this room and maybe we, maybe we believe in God or at least we have an understanding of God. We might not agree with everything and maybe we struggle with church. Some of us have been exposed to Jesus and his teachings and we think, okay, Jesus is Cool. But the Holy Spirit, for some of us, we've kept kind of on the side because either we've experienced some strange things or we've heard some strange things. Wait, friends, as you learned last week when Dr. Van was speaking, the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential. In fact, he said things like this because they're found in the Bible. You can't even know Jesus without the Holy Spirit. We can't even know God without the Holy Spirit. Now, for a church that our primary vision is to help people know God, love people and impact this city, the Holy Spirit's work is essential. How are you going to impact this city if you don't love people? I mean, not just the people that are easy to love, I mean the ones you disagree with even. How can we do that? We need to know God. He's the only source of that type of love because while we were yet, and we sung about it earlier, even his foe, he died for us. So it's incredible God's love towards us. So we saw last week that we become truly human, that the, that the Spirit takes us from being subhuman, what sin does and breaks us, and make us human again, how he originally created us to be. The Holy Spirit is at work restoring us back to Jesus. This week, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit as Guide. Guide. Now, when we talk about getting guidance from God, usually we're talking about making a big decision in life. Uh, you know, I've been pastoring for 25 years, and over the course of that time, I've noticed people who usually come for guidance, want, or they want prayer for God to guide them, it's over a big decision, something they're going to do. You know, should I marry this person? Should I quit my job? Should I take this new opportunity job? There are always these big decision pieces. Should I move to a different city? Whatever it might look like. And they want God in on their doing. I get that. These are important decisions. But you know, often, not many people come to me or come to others and ask for prayer for guidance into their being, not their doing. Let me help you with this. Our culture is more interested in what you do than who you are. Clearly, I mean, if I'm meeting you for the first time, I say, hey, my name's Jonathan, what's your name? What do you do? Because what you do is who you are right away. I know right away, okay, that's what you do? Okay, I know who you are. Nobody comes up to me and says, hey, what's your name, Jonathan? Who are you? Like, I mean, really, who are you? What are your values? What sort of character have you been shaping inside of you? What do you spend your money? Nobody cares. They care what you do. But see, the Spirit cares more about who you're becoming. Because here's how it works. The world or the culture we live in and even ourselves will say what we do is who we are. And the Spirit says who you are determines what you'll do. So the emphasis is always put on the being. So here's what we'll look at today. The Holy Spirit Principally, he guides us to Jesus. And you're going to see today, he guides us continually and constantly to Jesus. Even those of us that are in Jesus, he's constantly guiding us back to Jesus. And I'll show you why in a moment. But he's also doing a second thing. The Holy Spirit guides us into being more like Jesus. Now, I think God gets this right. (laughs) Imagine this. That actually, if you become more like Jesus, you're better able to obtain and contain whatever it is that you will be doing. If we become more like him, we're more prepared to do whatever that is in life that God's calling us to do. So to get us off to uh, a start, we're gonna read a portion of scripture. If you have a Bible, turn to Galatians chapter five. We're gonna start reading in verse 16. Uh, You can pull out your phone. There's no games on or scores to look at yet. Still early. So pull out your phone. We have free Wi-Fi here. You can turn to Bible Gateway or Bible.com. Look up Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in the 16th verse. I'm going to read it. We'll make some comments because Paul is really going to help us here. Galatians was a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that is in modern day Turkey the Galatian church. And he's teaching them here how the Holy Spirit guides us. Here's how he starts his teaching. He says this, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, if you have a paper copy of scripture, you might want to circle the word the spirit and the flesh." And sometimes, like, this is how I mark up my Bible, sometimes I'll even draw an arrow between them because the whole section, Paul is contrasting what it means to walk by the flesh, walk by the spirit. He's contrasting these two. Here's how he continues to do so. He said, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are at conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Wow. Now, does that not push against our culture? Because in our culture, we're told you can do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt other people. But Paul's saying that when we're born of the Spirit, you don't do whatever you want because it's not just about other people. It's about you, too. Sometimes what we want is exactly what ends up hurting us or destroying us. Have you ever prayed for something and God didn't give it to you? And in hindsight, now you're like, oh, thank God he didn't listen to me. Well, see, it's not always about what we want. And we're not to live just according to what we want. Let's continue to read. It says this, but if you are led by the Spirit, if you are guided by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh... And he says they're obvious. Now, this is tough because sometimes in our culture and world today, they become less obvious than they were. But he's saying the acts of the flesh are obvious. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. I mean, if you just came to church because someone invited you and you hear a pastor start with this list, you're just like, oh, no. Relax. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, or it could be pride, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That's a long list. He says, I warn you. Who's he warning here? Christians. People that are born of the Spirit. He's warning them. I warn you. As I did before, that those who live like this, Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. Let's keep going. But, oh, thank God there's a but, right? <laughs> Moving right along. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or your translation might say patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things, there is no law. Those, and this is a key verse, verse 24, to understand this passage. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul says so much in this little passage of Scripture, and you've probably heard this spoken on before. Hopefully, you're going to see some things that are going to help you to see how the Holy Spirit actually guides everyone who's open to be guided by the Spirit. It's, you know, and to understand what Paul's driving at, you gotta understand, he teaches on this in every one of his letters. The Apostle Paul wrote a bunch of letters to these churches. In the Corinthian church, he taught them about communion, and if you're new to church, communion is something we celebrate once a month here, and with a a, a wafer and a cup, and we celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus, his death and resurrection for every human being on this planet. It's an incredible moment. But he tells, he gives them instructions around He tells the church in the, of the Corinthians, he says, before you take communion, you ought to examine yourself. Now, what do you mean, examine myself? Now, Paul's saying, you ought to take a look at yourself. Well, look for what? Now, in the tradition I grew up in, it was always to look for sin, right? Because it was always more about what you were doing or not doing than who you were becoming. Now, that was my tradition. Your might be different. So, people would be, before communion, they'd be like, oh, okay, well, how much sin? What, what, what have I done? But the Apostle Paul, right in Corinthians as well as here, tells us, oh, no, 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 no. I'm more focused on who you're becoming. Paul is encouraging us before we take communion to see can you see evidence of the Spirit work in your life? Can you see evidence that you're growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? Check out and make sure there's evidence that you're in Christ here before you take the communion. That's what he's saying. In, in Corinthians, it says, it talks about relationships. Are you in right relationships with others? It's all about, again, is the fruit of the Spirit? Is there evidence that you're in the Spirit? So When it says in verse 18 that if you're led by the Spirit, Paul is saying something very big here. He's saying if you're a Christian, there'll be evidence that the fruit of the Spirit is growing in you. And the inverse is, if there's not evidence of that, you might wanna reconsider whether you're really born of the Spirit. Jesus would say, Jesus was a master communicator, but he'd say it even more directly. In Matthew chapter 12, he'd say this, how do you know a tree's alive? If there's no fruit, it's dead. Whoa, Jesus, couldn't we just find middle ground here? But no, there's something about the evidence that we know Jesus and the evidence of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at some of these evidence pieces. The first one is love. It says, if we are of the Spirit, we'll experience love. Now, love can be this warm, ushy gushy feeling. It might be something you share with the person you're sitting next to right now. I don't know. Judging by how some of you are sitting so close, I think some of you, that might be True. You know, with love, though, in the New Testament, love is so much bigger than a feeling. In the New Testament, love is expressed in the way we serve one another's needs, not for our sake, but for their sake. When we love, we don't give up on people. When we love, we're serving others not for what we get out of it, but for their sake. How are you doing at loving then he goes on he says joy. Joy is powerful. If you're going to live a resilient life, you need joy. Joy is essential to living the type of life that God would call us to live, a resilient life. Because that type of joy is that you delight and you desire God, not his gifts. It's not his gifts that make you love him, it's him. It is a delight in Him. It's not anchored to your circumstances. It's not anchored to what's going on in your life. Here's how you can tell you're growing in joy. Here's proof. If with each passing year, you're becoming more emotionally even keel. Because all of a sudden, your happiness is not attached to what's going on or what's happening to you or not happening to you, it's attached to God. All of a sudden, who never changes. Joy is based on, not based on circumstances. It's not based on how your life is going. It's based on who God is. One of my favorite authors, a guy named Timothy Keller, he says it this way. Happiness is perishable pleasure in a blessing. Joy is imperishable pleasure in the blessor. Isn't that good? Happiness is this perishable pleasure. It's always perishing. It's a perishable pleasure in a blessing. Why? Because every blessing passes. But joy is an imperishable pleasure in the blessor. How are you doing with joy, friends? Love, joy, peace. Peace. Peace is trust in God, it is confidence that no matter what's going on in our lives, we have peace. Why? We trust God, we have confidence. How do you tell if you're growing in peace? Well, with each passing year, you're becoming less anxious. Now, I'm not talking if you struggle with an anxiety disorder or something like that. That's a lot to do with the medical part. But I'm saying in general life, we're becoming less anxious people. Love, joy, peace. This is, this is one I always trip over, friends. I don't know if you're like me. This is a growth area. <laughs> I go to grocery stores and when I'm ready to check out, I scour the lines. I do, I'm judging. First, I always look to the cashier, do they look fast? (laughs) I do, I really do. If they're kinda just visiting and poking along, not my line, not gonna happen. Then I start looking at the depth of the carts, but you can't always base it on the depth of the carts, though, in the line, because some people are efficient. They're ready to get their food out on the cart, they already have their payment card out. They're not getting up there and saying, oh, I wonder how I should pay. No, and you could tell, and I, I, you, know, you know what it's like, I don't know if you're like me, but I am counting items in carts. When there's 12 or less items, and I see 13 or 14, I know there's a problem here. You know, I don't mean to judge, but that's wrong, right? Uh, back to patience. We better get... Uh, patience is the ability to suffer, It is the ability to suffer, even endure wrongdoing, and not get bitter, and not come undone. Patience is powerful. Patience is that ability that even when we're wronged, we don't melt down. We don't get bitter. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and goodness. Now, what's interesting is uh, Paul uses a Greek word here. The Greek word is agathusum, And it literally means uprightness of heart and integrity. Very interesting. When you think of kindness and goodness, you don't often think of this. But what Paul is driving at is one of the things that shows goodness and kindness is that we aren't hypocritical. We're the same people with this group of people as we are with this group of people. We're the same people in private as we are in public. We are transparent and we're honest. That's a a big fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Faithfulness. What is faithfulness? Faithfulness is fearlessness. It is courage. It is reliability. People with faithfulness are bold and assertive. I, you know, it might be the stage of life I'm in. The older I'm getting, the more I admire and love reliable people. I don't know if you've been there. When I was younger, I didn't think anything of it. Now that I'm older, I realize, being reliable people are not as common as you might think. You know, I think of... Uh, I've been pretty open with you guys about when Shelly and I were first married. I mean, those first two to three years were rough. I mean... I don't don't want to over-dramatize this or anything, but, you know, if we didn't know Jesus, I don't know if we would have made it through him. They were tough years. You know, something I love, though, about my wife, and to this day, is her reliability, her faithfulness, who she is. And it's amazing how attractive faithfulness is. You know, as you see someone faithful and reliable, It builds confidence. You can build something beautiful out of that, something incredible out of that. Faithfulness. How are you doing with faithfulness? Then he goes on to say gentleness. Gentleness is humility. Gentleness is the ability to be sensitive towards other people. People with the gift of gentleness, they're peacemakers. They're peacemakers and they're good listeners. And how many know peacemaking is hard work? Good listening is hard work. They're harder and harder to find. I think they're rarer and rarer. But in the idea of gentleness, this is you're sensitive to others. You're humble with others. And then, of course, self-control. And if you've got the other eight, you've got self-control, the ability to control oneself. Now, why is this so important? You've heard this before. You've heard those fruit before. What's significant of what Paul's saying here, and how does it apply to how the Holy Spirit guides us? Well, Paul is helping us to notice something here. When you see this list of fruit, think of this and keep this in mind for the rest of the message. This doesn't grow naturally. This grows supernaturally. This doesn't grow naturally. It grows supernaturally. But here's what we do. I look at this list and I think, oh, I'm a loving person, but I don't have much peace in my life. I'm anxious a lot of the time or or I'm a I'm a gentle I'm sensitive with others but I'm not very bold or assertive with others I'm not very courageous or in turn I'm very bold with others I don't mind telling them what I think but I'm not very sensitive and gentle with them see what we're doing is we're taking our natural temperament or personality and we think that's the fruit of the spirit but it's not those are, those are natural temperaments and, giving, and and personality things. The fruit of the Spirit grows supernaturally. Now, here's why I mean that. When Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit, he uses a Greek word that is singular. It is not the fruits of the Spirit. It is fruit of the Spirit, meaning it's one fruit that grows in unison. It's growing together. It's not growing love, but I'm not growing in peace No, 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 no. That's fruits. That's single individual things. This is the fruit of being in the spirit. And the fruit is I'm growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all at the same time. In my natural personality and temperament, I'm growing them individually, a little piece at the time. So how are you doing at growing the fruit of the spirit? This is difficult because the natural strengths I might have. Maybe I'm naturally loving. Maybe you're naturally loving and a sweet person, but you're not very assertive. Now, your natural, all of our natural tendencies and temperaments, they're all self-centered. Some of us are really sweet, but it's because we need to be loved. And we have to be liked. It's actually for very self-centered reasons that we need to be. Some of us are very assertive and bold, but we're not very sensitive. And our assertiveness and boldness actually comes from arrogance, pride. See, assertiveness without gentleness is a superiority complex. Gentleness without assertiveness is an inferiority complex. When we replace self-centeredness with God-centeredness, assertiveness and gentleness grow together. Can you see the difference? Our natural temperaments mean we hobble along with crutches here or there, but we're not growing in all the fruit of the Spirit. But the supernatural guidance of the Spirit leads us to all the fruit growing in our lives. So Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit singularly is saying, unless you're growing in all of them, you're actually not growing in any of them. It gets, gets a little more interesting here. So how does the Holy Spirit guide us to grow this fruit? Look at verse 24 in your Bibles, Galatians chapter 5. That was the key verse. He gives us the key here. He says, those who belong, which is big, if you know you belong to God, that's a game changer. If those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, kind of horrific, gory language, with its passions and desires. Now, what makes this so hard to understand is that word flesh. Again, English is a beautiful language, but it's a very direct language, and many of you speak other languages. And you know that English can't always say everything that other languages can say. Um, Here's the interesting thing. The Greek word for flesh is sark that Paul uses. And it's very difficult to translate into English. The best that could come up in the New International Version of the English Bible is flesh. But what do you think of when it says you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires? What do you think those sins are? Well, you go to verse 19. And you think of the fleshly sins. You think of, oh, sexual immorality, clearly. Impurity. Debauchery or drunkenness and orgies, because why? They're they're fleshly sins. They seem to be sins that are attached to the body. They're things we do in body that are sinful. But the majority of the sins, or the acts of the flesh that Paul lists, eight of them are in the middle, and they have nothing to do with your body. He says things like this, hatred, discord or disunity, jealousy. Fits of rage, selfish ambition or pride, dissensions, factions, and envy. What Paul is getting at when he says they've crucified the flesh, he's getting at the fact that every human being has two operating systems. We're all born with one. We're all born with the faith or or the sorry, the flesh operating system. Everyone has an FOS when we're born. We're born with the flesh operating system. And then when we come to Jesus, we are then born of the spirit. And she's having a really bad hair day today, but uh, I was in a hurry to get her hair on. Uh, We are born with the spirit, born again with the spiritual operating system. We were born at creation, humans were made to operate on this operating system. When sin entered the world, we began to participate in the faith operating system. Now, here's the interesting thing. Both operating systems produce desires and passions. When Paul says, uh, along with its passions and desires, this Greek word doesn't mean evil desires, it means over-desires, very interesting. The actual definition says a disproportionate desire for an, or a desire of an out of control desire or a drive. In other words, the flesh causes good things to go out of control. So here's how it works the flesh operating system takes good things, like money, right? Anyone like money? I can help you with your problem if you want to give it away. Like, no problem. Money's a good thing, though. Nothing nothing evil about money. He takes things like family. Family's good. Children. Children good? Weren't they two cute babies today? Oh, you weren't in the first service. We dedicated four babies this year, or this weekend. It was amazing. Uh, Children. Sex. Good thing that God created. Success at our career or work, all of these good things. But the flesh operating system takes them and puts them, sucks them right into the center of our being. And by doing so, it makes them not a good thing, it makes them an ultimate thing. And this is where we begin to break down. This is where things that are good become toxic or difficult or even begin to break us. In our lives, friends, when it comes to the human operating system, you can see this at work over and over in our lives. Like, you think of something like approval. Human approval, is that a good thing? Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> the Bible says a good reputation is good. A good name is to be sought. And you know, do you like to be loved by people? I recommend it. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> Do you like to be like by people? Yeah. I mean, human approval can be a good thing. But when human approval gets sucked into the center of our lives, which the faith operating system will always take it there, if that's what you crave. It'll take whatever you're craving, and it'll suck it right into the middle of your being. And all of a sudden, it becomes ultimate. So what happens when people don't like you? When people criticize you? The flesh operating system takes something good into it, into you And says, unless people like you, unless these people and you identify a group love you, you're nothing. You're nothing. See, when you're critiqued or criticized, if human approval is the ultimate, all of a sudden, you're no longer just hurt because that's kind of normal or disappointed. That's normal. You're devastated. Now, what happens then is because you're devastated because someone doesn't like you or doesn't approve of you, what do you do? You'll do anything you have to to get their approval. You'll even become something to get their approval. Why? Because it's become your ultimate. It's become your ultimate. And sometimes in life, we don't even understand it. You look at the friends, though, you gather in life. Look at the people who influence you. What do they pull out of you? God? Or are you so starving for approval that you'll become whatever they need you to be Because they're at your center. It's Not just that. You know, you think of money and success from work and career success. Good things, right? Yeah, thank you, good, yeah, I'm with you, man. Good things, good things. But the flash operating system sucks it right into the middle, and here's what it does. At the very least, it produces workaholism. You think of Toronto. Man, this is rampant in Toronto. At the very least, it'll produce workaholism. If left unchecked, what it produces over time is shady business ethics, unethical practices. Why? Because you crave success so much. You crave success at work or money or whatever it might be because you feel important when you're working hard. You feel like people notice and people praise it or whatever because it's all mixed with approval too. And it gets sucked into the middle and all of a sudden you're willing to do things you wouldn't have done before but here's something you need to know about the flesh operating system. This is the sneaky part of it. It can help you justify anything. Anything. I mean, the flesh operating system, I'll give it dibs in this regard, it's creative. It can help you justify any practice behavior that you might participate in. It doesn't, the narrative of the flesh operating system always goes something like this, like everybody does this, right? Right? Everybody does this. Yeah, or you, you do what you have to do. I mean, it's a dog-eat-dog world, so you do what you have to do. And what happens is, because that's at the center, you'll do whatever it takes. Uh, let's take something positive, though. Uh, what about children? Man, I love kids. I love them when they're crying, and I can give them back to their mom and dad. I love that, too. Children are a gift from God. Agreed? But your flesh operating system will take your children, if you're not careful, and try to move it right into your ultimate. And when you do this, someone's going to get crushed. See, why, what, what happens here is often parents who put children as their ultimate, everything they do, everything's about the success of their children, everything, they often crush their kids under unbelievable expectations. Because why? Their success is attached to their children's success. And the more successful my children is, the better parent I am. And the flesh operating system lies to you every time your children aren't as good as they could be or aren't as successful as people on Facebook kids who seem to be winning every award and my kid has no awards. You know those feelings? No. Anyway. <laughs> but the flesh operating system will then condemn you right there. What kind of parent are you? Or, on the inverse of it, your children will crush you because you're so attached to them that their misbehavior or bad choice or lack of success and stuff like this ends up crushing you. So you're always just one of their bad decisions away from being crushed. Why? Because you've made them the ultimate. The flesh operating system always distorts good things good things, God created things, wonderful things, and it turns and produces out-of-control desires, out-of-control despair, out-of-control fear, out-of-control anger, because it's always saying "This," 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 this or this or this or this or this or this is the ultimate. Now, the spiritual operating system works very differently. The spiritual operating system has the same things around it, I mean, there's sex, there's money, there's family, there's uh, approval of others, there's work, I spell this, there's work, there's success. All of those things are around it, but it only sucks one thing into it. The spirit operating system is always saying that Jesus is the only one that satisfies. And it says it constantly and continually. And the beautiful thing about the spiritual operating system is when you get that at the center, all of a sudden you get to enjoy these things that God made the way he intended them to be used. This one makes you a captive. This one sets you free to enjoy the good gifts of God. And the Holy Spirit is constantly guiding us towards The spiritual operating system. So here's how he does it. First off, we learn that the Spirit guides us to Jesus. I mean, that's the primary work of the Jesus, of the work of the Spirit. But I want you to add these two adjectives in your mind. He guides us to Jesus constantly and continually. Because you need it. I need it. We need it. Look at what it says here in Corinthians. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So he guides us to Jesus, but there's this work. And in theology, we call it the word sanctification. It's not just that he guides us to Jesus, but he's continually, constantly guiding us to Jesus. It's like when you go to one of the big box stores and you need a part for something. You ever been there? I I don't do, you, you wouldn't want me renovating your house unless you don't care about like walls being there and ceiling staying up. You know, you don't want me doing that. But occasionally, I have to go and I get a part. And you walk in, and often they wear an apron, and it says, how can I help? And you know, there's usually one of two types of people to your approach. I re- remember going in, big, big, I won't tell you what store it was, but this big, bright orange bib on, that so said, how can I help? And I said, hey, I'm looking for this part. Yeah, it's not my department. It might be down over here and so stuff. Just go ahead then, uh, that way. Oh, didn't mean to bug you. Sorry. <laughs> and then you walk in you meet someone else and they have the, how can I help you? Hey, sir, I know where that is. Let me take you there. Two different experiences. One, when they point in the general direction, I'm nervous the whole way, not nervous, but I'm looking the whole way trying to see, am I past it? Is it here? Where is it? And I have this unsettled feeling like, I'm not going to find this. But when he's guiding me and walking with me, I don't even think about it. I'm not thinking about what we're walking by at all. Why? Because I know he knows where he's taking me. See, when the Holy Spirit fills our lives when we come to Jesus, all of a sudden we have this advocate, this guide, and he's constantly and continually taking us to Jesus over and over again because we need it. We need to be reminded over and over again of this great truth in Romans where it says this. Next slide, yeah. And the Spirit himself joins with our spirits to say, we are God's children. Friends, you can't live in the spiritual operating system unless you know you belong. And the Holy Spirit fills us to remind us constantly, despite our behaviors, despite our bad behaviors, despite our good works, not because of our good works, but he reminds us over and over that you belong to Jesus and you are loved by Jesus. And without that, there's an insecurity. And when there's an insecurity, we'll default back to this. Why? Because I need to fill that hole with something that makes me feel like I matter. But if we know we're loved, no matter what you do, no matter where you've been and what you've done, and that if you are in Christ, you belong. Even if some of your behavior hasn't always shown or demonstrated you belong, there's a grace that's sufficient. If you know that, there's a security And it allows the Spirit to keep bringing you back to Jesus without making these the ultimate. But friends, if you don't know you belong, you'll always be back here trying to fill it with something. Trying to fill it with something. But it's not just that. Because the Spirit guides us to Jesus, reminds us over and over that we're no longer controlled by the flesh operating system, the spiritual operating system. But the question for me, I won't say it's a question for you, but the question for me is, how come I'm here... But so often I can live like I'm here. You know, if I was to determine or to try to describe it in a word, I'd say habits. Habits. See, in the flesh operating system, I developed a lot of habits. And sometimes habitually, we go back to these things to get what Jesus offers us. Why? Because sometimes it's quicker. Sometimes it's easier. Often we're just in the habit of going there to feel important, to feel significant, to feel like we matter. But it's habits that keep me here, and it's habits that'll take me here. We are born of the Spirit, but it is habits that will help me to start living like I'm in the spiritual operating system instead of the flesh operating system. Listen, in Toronto, this is not easy. Because some of us, uh, let me just be your pastor for a minute, and I'm saying that I struggle with the same thing. Some of us are way too busy for our own good. We don't have time to develop those habits. We are so distracted. We're so constantly distracted and so disconnected. Uh, You know what it's like in our culture right now. You can see it in the coffee shops or at the dinner tables. We can barely have conversations with each other. We're so distracted and disconnected. I'm saying that like I'm the chief of sinners, friends. So don't, this is not me pointing the finger. I'm just saying it takes intentional, what we used to call in spiritual formation, they'd be called spiritual discipline to help us be people of the spirit. So in conclusion, I just wanna land, land on a couple of things. And the second one is this. Not only does he guide us to Jesus, but remember the spirit is constantly guiding us to be more like him. This is the process of sanctification. Here's how it says. Now, this should say 2 Corinthians 3.18. My mistake. Uh, And someone in the first service said, it's not 3.8. And they were right. Here's what it says, though, in 3.18. And so we are transfigured. And that word means changed. Much like the Messiah, Jesus, our lives gradually becoming brighter. Is your life gradually becoming brighter, friends? Are you the same place you were two years ago? gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. That's the work of the Spirit, making us more and more like Jesus, gradually, continually becoming brighter and more beautiful, replacing the habits of the flesh operating system with the spiritual operating system. And that's why, friends, every one of you, you need to hear the Spirit. Uh, you know, this, uh, just as we're ending here, this series is so important in my heart because I feel like you could come to church and not hear God, experience God, feel God. Every one of us needs to experience the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. It's essential. And here are the habits that lend to this. The first one is this, through God's living word. The Holy Spirit guides us and speaks to us through God's living word. He is the living word, Jesus. And the Holy Spirit leads us into it. And again, the reason why, uh, you know, when people say the Bible's boring, I know they've never read it. They could never have possibly read it because it's anything but boring. But I do know this. It requires a habit to be reading God's Word. Some of you have been stopping me over the last number of weeks as we were ending 2017, and I gave you a 10-minute challenge at the beginning of 2017, and I couldn't get over how many of you have kept it up. One woman said, it's completely changed my life, but I knew it's not the 10-minute challenge. What it was, was the Holy Spirit speaking through His Word. Now, I think there are two reasons why we don't go to the Word. One is habits. Second is, when we go there we don't like what we see i feel like if we're not careful and i've felt like i've heard this over and over in christian communities and it makes me a little nervous is they're shocked when they when they open the word and all of a sudden they see a jesus and it's not the jesus that they know because they're determined to make jesus just meek and mild We have a habit of making Jesus nice, friends. But if you read the Bible, Jesus did not play nice. He boldly stood in a Roman Empire, in an obscure part of it, and he declared a kingdom, a different way of life. They didn't kill him because he was a nice guy. They didn't kill him because he was boring and ineffective. They killed him because he was dangerous. And if we will allow the Spirit, he will keep leading us to that Jesus who gives us a boldness and a love in this world. And he will keep leading us back there. But if you're not careful, you'll be tempted to try to clip the nails of the line of Judah and make him just meek and mild. And while he is meek and mild, never forget who Jesus is. Jesus is the king. He's the ultimate authority in this world, life, in all of creation. I, I, don't, don't water him down, friends. Don't, don't allow the Spirit to take you to see the vastness and grandeur and, and the, the scope of who Jesus is. Second habit is this, though. Not only living, uh, going to the God's Word, but being God, the Holy Spirit will guide us through other Christians. This is why Paul would say in another part of his reading, he said, don't forsake the gathering of the believers. Why? Because you need Christians in your life. For the next couple of weeks, I won't spend long in this because we're going to be talking about how God uses and gives gifts to every one of his children. Why? To edify and build up those around us. You need Christians in your life. I, I hope you have people in your life who are not followers of Christ because you need people you can be salt and light to. But you need Christians in your life who can challenge you, not just Christians who always agree with you. Christians who challenge you to be better. To, to rise up a little bit, to be more than what you, you might be living to. And then the, the last one is this. Holy Spirit will guide us through moments when we gather. Friends, it's not perfect attendance that matters in church. I grew up in a Sunday school. Uh, but, you know, I went to Sunday school, and it was church before church. That's what it was. And we used to give out perfect attendance certificates. Any of you win those? Don't put your hand up. We didn't like you. <laughs> you know, as if attendance would change anything. I mean, it's, at least it's proximity. At least it's proximity to truth. But it's not intimacy. You know, our family, and I'll speak for the four of us because I feel like I can, we are so imperfect people, and we know it. And we are keenly aware of it every day. It's amazing. But I know this nothing changes in my relationship with Shelly or with my boys or anything just by being around them. It's intimacy, it's connecting with them. So when I talk about how the Holy Spirit speaks to us and guides us in moments when we gather, it's not just showing up, it's leaning in, it's participating. It's saying, Holy Spirit, speak to me, whether it's through the teaching, whether it's through the worship, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.